morning. I don't know that I sufficiently prepared my heart to hear uh, Joey share that this morning, but I will say that for probably half of my ministry, it's been with Joey. And it's been awesome. And it will be awesome, no matter what your position is here. So thank you. Just another quick announcement. (laughs) I'm not a transition from that. Um, We're wrapping up for for ministry season. And so... um, We've got this retreat coming up. We've got a fresh start happening. And we also have what I'm referring to now as Sunday Night Connections, which is house church, it's chapel, it's all the things. Last week, we had the privilege of uh, sitting with Aaron and Jenny's friends, uh, the, Can- the Canutons? Is that? I I'm, might I'm, I'm have just butchered that. Ken, his name was Ken. Uh, And Ken shared uh, with a group of our guys on Sunday night just some incredibly uh, emotionally vulnerable pieces of his walk with the Lord. And he said, in front of all these guys, he said, I'm Dutch, and if I can do this, anybody can do this. And I thought... Amen. This is exactly my sentiment towards our church body sharing our testimony and the power of God at work in you. And that's exactly what Sunday Night Connection is for, is for you to be known by others and for others to know you. And the only way that we're going to achieve that is through being vulnerable with each other. And so you should know ahead of time Some of you already know that I have proposed that you do exactly that. And I would say to you, those those of you who said, I can't do that. That's not something that I've been called to do. That's a lie. Uh, And I would also say that I, in my uh, freshman year of college, failed Old Testament. And I also waited until my fifth year of college to take public speaking as the oldest person in the class. And now I stand here before you. And some of you are like, yeah, we understand. (laughs) Oh man, but your testimony is the power of God at work in you and other people need to hear that. So just go ahead and say yes. If Ken can do it, you can do it. So last week, uh, Aaron left us off with, uh, oh, wait, I forgot. Sunday Night Connection is going to start a little bit different this year. We're going to start with a worship night, September 24th at The Rock, 630. It's going to be men and women together. I know that's a novel idea. We're going to start with that. it's going to be open to, to anyone. So uh, I understand there's, there's a benefit to men and women separating, especially with young families. So just come and enjoy that time of worship the Lord together. And then the following week, we'll have men's chapel. Last week, we started a new series in Esther. Aaron started us off and he posed a question. 
Is God accomplishing his redemptive plan, his redemptive purposes? And we said unanimously that no matter what the circumstances are, God is always accomplishing his will. And so what I want to look at today as we traverse the next few chapters of Esther is, what is our reaction? How are we supposed to uh, act in light of God always moving towards his redemptive plan? What do we do? This is the conclusion. Right in the middle of our text, one of the guys is going to look at Mordecai and he's going to say, we can't tolerate these kinds of people. We can't tolerate these kinds of people who live by their own rules. They're intolerably obedient to their God. And I want to be clear. The intolerably obedient is supposed to be us. I'm saying that in a positive way. But you know what it's like to be around someone who's intolerably obedient. Yeah? It's, you might refer to them as a stick in the mud or what's, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just go along with us and have fun the way that we want to have fun? A couple years ago, I think it was a couple years ago, there's a group of guys that went to Anchorage. Uh, to be clear, I don't have permission to tell a story, so it's going to be, I'm not going to change the names so that you don't know who they are. Um, this group of guys go to Anchorage, and we go to uh, this place called the Extreme Fun Center. You guys know? You guys know what that is? Good. Um, we, I probably shouldn't know what it is, but my kids do. We took our kids there too. It's a, it's a video game center and they have laser tag and 3D games and they also have go-kart track. And I grew up as a kid going to go-kart tracks on vacation, just tons of fun. It's indoor go-kart track, right? So this group of guys gets on the go-kart track, there's five of us and we go around. And the whole point of racing, if you're not rubbing, you're not racing, right? And if you're not first, you're last. That's the way it goes. So we go around the track and uh, Scott Fraley, um, I can mention his name, won. I think he won. He won the first race. And a little while later, we go to race again. And there's two guys that get in the front two go-karts. And their names are, for the purpose of the story, Uwe and Rue. <laughs> and they get in the front two go-karts and they pull out, with, get the green light, they pull out and they immediately pull over to the side. What are you doing? This is a race. Why? Do you not understand that we're trying to cross the finish line first? So I, I hit them on the way by as a gesture of what are you doing? And then we go around the track and Scott and I are fighting for first position and get across the line first. And then the race ends and we get out and we go to the leaderboard and Uwe and Rue are listed as one and two. And they said, look, we won. We had the fastest times around the track. And I said, there's no way that you can win because you pulled over. That's not how that works. <laughs> it's just not how it works. You can't do that. And then they said, but look at the evidence. We, we won. I want to be clear. I'm telling you to be like Uwe and Rue today, okay? Be like Uwe and Ruth. So we're going to look at uh, chapters 2, 19 through 4. And what you're going to see is that Mordecai and Esther are intolerably obedient to their God. Intolerably obedient. 
to the point where the world looks at them, their counterparts look at them and go, what is wrong with you? Why would you be like that? So I'm going to tell you the story. And then I'm going to, uh, we're going to address four different facets of what it is like to be intolerably obedient and the cost that you will suffer for being intolerably obedient. So the story, Esther from chapter one has landed in this prominent seat as the queen after a year of beauty school right? She's there. She has found favor among all the people in this land, including the king who just adores her, loves her. Our passage starts out that she's returning from the king's chambers to the harem. And Mordecai has instructed Esther to not tell anyone that she's a Jew. No matter what you do in this setting, don't say who you are or who your people are. Seems like a random fact just inserted there. And as Mordecai is sitting at, uh, so, so the story transitions from Mordecai to, or from Esther to Mordecai. Mordecai is the dad of Esther. And the story tells us that Mordecai was uh, faithfully there at the king's gate. It seems like he's an official for the king, and he's sitting at the gate, and every day he asks, how's Esther doing? How's she doing? What's happening? While he's there, he hears of this plot to kill King Ahasuerus by two men named Big Thane and Teresh. And Mordecai hearing this news, takes it to Esther, who then immediately takes it to the king. And the king investigates the news of this plan and finds out that it was, it was true. There was a plan to execute him, to kill him and remove him from authority. And so the plan is thwarted. And it's recorded in the king's journal that Mordecai was the one who discovered the plan and made it known to the king. And then chapter three opens up, and then the story transverses from our, uh, moves from uh, Esther to Mordecai to now a man named Haman, and Haman is also an official of King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes in some of your texts. And the king really adores Haman too. And he exalts Haman to the highest place in his officials, and he commands all of the officials in his kingdom, all of the people, that when he walks through the gate, that everyone's supposed to bow down to Haman. And guess what? Mordecai refuses to bow down, refuses to get on his knees before the king's exalted man. The rest of the officials are watching. In Esther chapter 3, verse, verse 3 and 4, he says this. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Why do you pull your go-kart over? And when they spoke to him, 
day after day, and he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. He did exactly the opposite of what he told Esther to do. Refused to obey and told them who he was. Haman becomes furious towards Mordecai. He's so furious that what wells up in his heart is not just to end the life of Mordecai, the man who refuses to lay or bend his knee. He thinks to himself, if I really want to get revenge against this guy, I'm not only going to kill him, I'm going to kill his entire race. The entire people group. That's Hitler-esque. That's who Mordecai is an official with. So Haman begins to hatch this plan and he rolls the dice, he casts lots to see when would be the lucky day that I can go before King Ahasuerus and put this before him and he would say yes. And so for 12 months, he casts lots in order to find the perfect day, 12 months, casts lots, And then he comes before the king and he says, King, says this in verse 8 of chapter 3. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. He makes a deal with the king. He says, I will pay you 750,000 pounds of silver if you will agree to kill these people. And you know what King Ahasuerus does? He takes off his signet ring and says, for that amount of money, you can write the decree and do whatever you want. Kill the people and take whatever they possess. Go for it. And so, verse verse 13 says, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's promises with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So this letter goes out. King Haman, or sorry, King Ahasuerus and Haman crack open a bottle and celebrate over what's about to happen. The letters go out, and the entire province is in an uproar. I can't believe what's about to happen. You mean in less than two weeks? a people group is going to be eradicated from the earth? In less than two weeks, this is going to happen. Mordecai gets the letter, tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he goes to the king's gate, because that's as far as he can go and be obedient. Because inside the king gate, you are not allowed to wear sackcloth. So he stops there, remaining to be obedient to the authority that's over him. And then Esther gets word of Mordecai's 
position where he is laying on his face at the, king, at the king's gate with sackcloth and ashes. She sends her servant to see what the problem is. And Mordecai hands a copy of the letter saying, this is what has just been said of us. This is the plot that is against us. The plot to kill me now. And they're going to pay 750,000 pounds of gold or silver. You need to go before the king and plead for us. Just like you did when I told you of the plot against the king, do it again. Esther responds. Chapter 4, verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that they may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. I can't do it. I can't be obedient to you because it's going to cost me my life. She sends a servant to Mordecai, and Mordecai looks at the servant and says this. Tell Esther that just because she's in the king's palace, don't think that she's going to escape what is about to happen. In fact, if you keep silent, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place. But you and your father's house He's the father, will die. But who knows? You might be exactly where you are for such a time as this. Esther gets the message. She hears it. She says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it on one condition. Me and the women of my harem, the young women that I have relationship with, we are going to fast. We're going to fast for three days. I want you to go out into the provinces and have all of the Jews take three of our 12 days and fast before the Lord, before I go into the king. And chapter four ends with Mordecai saying, I will do as you have commanded me. I will do as you have commanded me. In light of all the evil that's happening for Mordecai and Esther, there is still an opportunity for God's people to remain intolerably obedient. Four facets of obedience. Here's the first one. God's intolerable people are obedient to authority. God's intolerable people are obedient to authority. I have shared that for the past two years, we have ordered a dump load of, uh, a truckload of dirt in our front yard for our 
Neanderthal children to play in outside. <clears throat> and we did that again this, this summer. They had, they had a blast with it. Um, maybe, maybe a month or so ago, more than a month, I've finally leveled that all out and dispersed the dirt and I planted grass and I put a, a garden hose around the edge of it and I taught my kids you do not walk on this area of the yard. I understand that for the past two years, this has been your playground. It will no longer be that for a period of time. You need to understand, can't get on it. About the same time, our refrigerator went out after, after an extended period of use for 18 months. <laughs> So for three weeks, we were about, we, we lived out of coolers, ate out of coolers, and we made it. You can survive without a refrigerator. <clears throat> so Dan's TV pulls up into the yard, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, and my kids are just loving it. They've got a lift gate on the thing, and they're, I'm trying to get them out of the lift gate so they don't get crushed as they take the refrigerator out and move it into the house. And I've got them kind of over on the yard and they're watching this all happen. These two guys roll the refrigerator out and they bump over the first piece of hose and into the grass. And my three-year-old says, get off the grass. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's okay. Well, I didn't, I was just, I, I was laughing and I was also like, one time is not going to be fine, but I also heard the tone that I tell my kids not to be on the grass. It came out and my three-year-old was all of a sudden a 40-year-old man, get off my grass. <clears throat> they get the refrigerator in and they come, they come back and I thought they would have understood, but they walked back through the grass and, and Dash again says, get off the grass. And I was like, man. You should know better by now. <laughs> Dash understands my authority. This is my space. Get off my space. You know that. Esther, chapter 20, verse 20, or chapter 2, verse 20 says, Esther had not made known to her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Aaron talked a little bit about last week is there's, there's a tendency to, um, to see characters uh, from, from Scripture or uh, to overlay what's happening in our, in our current state, our current culture. And so when I read this passage, I think, how does Mordecai line up with this? Because I've already told you in the story that Mordecai tells Esther to do something and then does the exact opposite of it. So is, is Mordecai... Mordecai a bad character? Where, where does he fall in this? But that, due to future context, you can't land there. Because Mordecai is going to put his own life on the line. And he's going to call Esther to put her life on the line. And before that, it says that he's at the king's gate every day wanting to know what is happening with my daughter in there. It's easy for us to sit back and judge and say, you know what, if I was Mordecai, I would Liam Neeson 
Ahasuerus. Come in like taken and just grab her out and kill all the guys. But what's most striking is that Esther in this position of being queen is still obedient to her father. One of the reasons that is is because she lost her biological father and mother. And I want to imagine that Esther is very grateful to have the authority of a father figure in her life, especially at this time when she is part of King Ahasuerus's harem. But there's another reason that Esther and Mordecai might be striving towards obedience, and it's this. Paul says in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Mordecai and Esther don't oppose authority in the same way that their ancestors does because they are living in the consequences of not doing that, of not valuing authority. And you know that honoring your mother and father is really something that you do in light of understanding who God is and that God has placed those people in your lives to love you, to care for you, to direct you. And so when we honor our mother and father, what we're really saying is that we honor God himself. Esther and Mordecai know that. They're doing that. The cost of this obedience to authority is that you're going to lose out on some control. You're going to lose a little bit of that control, holding on to everything that you have. Number two, God's intolerable people are obedient to the truth. Mordecai hears this plot to kill the king. Esther chapter 2, verse 22 to 23 says, And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. He, he hears it. I'm not seeking it out. It just comes to me. I'm in the place, and I overhear them talking about the plan. And he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is faced with a decision. Am I going to ignore what I've heard? Or do I have to do something with that information? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord. And everything that Big Thing, uh, Big Thane and uh, Tresh are doing, Tresh, um, to devise this plot, checks off all those seven things. They've got to tell lies. They've got to devise a plot. They've got to kill someone. And so am, am I going to partner with God in the truth or am I going to just let them do their thing? The 
option is obedience or passivity. Mordecai is already, from our story, not willing to bend his knee to just passively go along. And the people, the officials there with him say, why do you transgress the king's command? What is it about you? What makes you special that you don't get to do this? It's because I'm obedient to the truth. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's happening in our culture now is that people are saying, hey, this is, this is my truth and I want you to go along with me. I don't want you to oppose me I just want you to do and say the things that make me feel happy. And the truth is that that presents an option to you. You are either going to say the truth out loud or you're going to open the Bible and you're going to tear out pieces of it and say, we don't have to do that anymore. That's the option. Either I'm going to be obedient to the authority and speak the truth of God or I'm just going to go along with the people around them and let them do what they want here's the cost to this obedience and this is one that I'm dealing with myself is that obedience to the truth is going to cost you relationally it's going to cost you relationally to the people that you care about that you love that you call friends and family, that you're co-workers. I can't, stand for the, I can't stand for the truth and then just go along with you in these ways. And you know the ways. Number three, God's intolerable people are obedient to death. Esther hears about Mordecai laying on his face at the king's gate. Mordecai says to Esther, we're all going to die. Can you do something about this? And she responds, I don't think I can. I don't think I can because it's going to cost me my life. If I do that, it could potentially cost me my life if I go before the king in order to say anything. I'll read you these words. Esther chapter 3, 13 and 14. Mordecai says to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There are a number of scriptures that I think over the years we've abused. Such as 
I can do all things in Christ. Sometimes we put the emphasis on I can in that passage rather than God. Or Jeremiah 29, 11, for God has a plan to prosper me. And we land and we want to emphasize the prospering of us, right? In both those passages, we should be more uh, aware of, what we should emphasize more is God's role in that. And I think that when we come to the passage in Esther 4, we do the same thing. Because as I read this text, I hear people time and time again, God is going to place you in this thing. You're in this season for such a time as this, and you are going to achieve something awesome. What does it say right before that? Your role in this is for you to take, but God's going to do it anyway. God's testimony is that he miraculously delivers the Jews throughout the Old Testament time and time again. He doesn't need Esther to do it. He doesn't need you to do anything. What he's doing is he's inviting you into what he's already doing. He's inviting you to partner with him. And so the question becomes, what are you going to do in light of God's miraculous, marvelous acts? Are you going to partner with him? Is the invitation to come before the king and risk it all something that you're going to do. Mordecai calls Esther to put her life on the line. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. It's no longer me who lives, but it is Christ in me. Man, I have the joy of talking to different people, of saying, hey, you should, you should come to chapel and you should share your testimony. I've heard a little bit about it and I would love for you to do that. And I commonly hear sometimes, maybe, maybe less than a quarter of the percent of the times. Most of the time it's, yes, I'll do it. I'll stick my neck out. But there's this little, little caveat of people who are like, I don't do public speaking. It's not for me. Just, I just can't. And I already told you earlier that I don't believe that. But I'm not going to force you to do it. <laughs> My favorite response to that is, uh, oh, you're rounding up victims again. <laughs> uh, I know they were joking, but you know, there's a, always a little bit of truth in the joke. No, I wouldn't categorize it as victimizing. <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to share the power of God in the lives of our church. It doesn't matter if the story is all the way complete, that you're still working through it. What you're testifying to is the power of God, and that's what we as God's children are called to. And here's the caveat. The reason why people don't want to do it is that obedience to death is going to cost you comfort and safety. It doesn't feel good to be exposed in front of other people in that manner. The invitation is for you to partner with God, to see others who are condemned or dying, 
see the light. Last one. God's intolerable people are obedient to submission. Throughout a whole passage, Mordecai has been telling Esther, this is what you should do. This is what you should do, even when he does the exact opposite. But the very last verse of chapter 4 is Mordecai responding to Esther's position of authority. You're the queen. You're the one sticking it on the line now. And I'm going to do what you says. He says this, Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. See, it's, it's a false dichotomy that says submission and authority don't work hand in hand together. Some of us want to read Colossians 3 and say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord and just stop there. But it goes on and says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. And so there's a symbiosis there of authority and submission to each other. Children, obey your parents and everything for this, this pleases the Lord. The next verse, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. There's some give and take. Authority and submission, working together. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or people pleasing, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And obedience to submission is going to cost you power and recognition. Obedience. Obedience to authority, obedience to truth, obedience to death and submission. Those are the things that we are called to as believers to say, okay, I'm going to put your will over mine because I understand that no matter what I do, you're going to accomplish your purposes. And yet the world is going to look on you and say, what's wrong with you? Why did you park your go-kart over there? Why do you obey those archaic laws? Why do you care about the Bible? It's not relevant for today. Obedience is costly, but as believers, what we are to have done already is to count the cost of what it means to follow the Lord. Luke 14, 26 through 28 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. I must, as a believer in Christ, count the cost of what it means to be obedient in order to follow him. And so I'm weighing out the cost. But what do you gain in light of the cost? The cost is control. 
The cost is relationship with others. The cost is comfort and safety, power and recognition. But what do you gain? Obedience to authority gains me position to receive from God. Obedience to truth gains me peace before an all-knowing God. Instead of temporary peace relationally. Obedience to death gains me eternal life, and obedience to submission returns glory to the one who saved me, allows me to worship him, honor him above all else. Right now is your opportunity to consider the cost again, to ask the question, really accomplishing what you're going to accomplish? Can I trust you? Can I be obedient and lose all this? As you respond in worship, our prayer team's gonna be in the back. If you need anything for prayer, there's communion for you to remember God's sacrifice for us. It's offering our receptacles for you to give thanks. Let me pray and jump into worship. God, thank you for the demonstration of your obedience that led you to the cross to set us free. God, I ask for those in this room who are, who are questioning whether or not they can be obedient to you in the light of the cost that it will surely cost them, God, that you would show off your magnificence to them. And for those of us who have already committed our lives to you, as we're struggling through what it's going to cost us, show us again, Lord. Show us your immeasurable beauty and grace and love. In Jesus' name I pray. So if tomorrow someone said, put your life on the line in order to save the country, that would feel like a little bit of pressure, right? Anyone? Fair? There is an invisible, lifelong series of yes decisions in your relationship with Jesus that happen in obscurity, that happen out of everyone else's view, where, where, the, where the hand of God is on your heart in something that you realize, I could get away with saying no, and I think I can make it. And some of you right now in your relationship with Jesus are at that decision, that yes or no. And you don't get to the big ones until you've developed the humility in your relationship with Jesus to consistently say yes in all of the small invisible ways. So if that's you this morning and there is a decision right before you 
and maybe no one else in your life knows, but you know the hand of God is on you. And he's saying, hey, I want you to say yes. And you're saying, I don't know. I want you to hear this from me. I've said yes, and I've said no. And every time that I have said yes, God has proven his goodness over and over and over. If that's true in your life, would you be a witness this morning and say amen? Amen. Amen. Say yes to him. If you want not, if you want to, someone to partner with you in that yes, that difficult yes right now, go receive prayer right after the service. Say, I need someone to pray for me. I want to say yes to him. He's worth it. It's so great to be with you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Drew and Rob and Laura for leading us. We don't officially end until 1230. If you can stick around, uh, I, I, I can't, I know we say this every week, but I can't stress this enough. It's such a huge blessing to our teardown teams. If you can give five extra minutes and help us uh, get that rolling. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, or you know someone in that situation, come and talk to us. We'd love to help you out. God bless you. May his peace be upon you this week. You're dismissed.